Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Live from the 6th and Peabody studio and across the OutKick network, this is OutKick 360 with Jonathan Hutton, Chad Withrow, and Paul Kuharski. Out of the gates and ready to go. OutKick 360 is underway from 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Chad Withrow to my left. I'm Jonathan Hutton. No Paul Kuharski today. He is giving a presentation on behalf of Rune Artledge for his candidacy for the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Uh, doing that uh, from uh, his home today as a part of a special committee uh, looking into the uh, seniors there. Um, should be really cool as we uh, reconnect with John McClain a bit later, speaking of Pro Football Hall of Fame selectors. Uh, he will be on the show with us today in an hour. Tons of NFL headlines out there. And Jason Campbell, former Auburn quarterback, 10-year NFL veteran, he will be on the show in 20 minutes. Jam-packed throughout an Ole Miss deep dive and preview for the 2022 season for the Rebels. We'll also get into more of our NFL preview with the San Francisco 49ers and Seattle Seahawks. Chad, what's up? I'm ready to go, Hutton. Um, I'm. Uh, by the way, there's not enough occasions in life to say a word like selector. Selector. Or insurer. <laughs> Any of these that end with the O-R, yeah, and you can right. really go, you can really lean into the emphasis on the selector. I think we need a, a little bit more of that. Licking my wounds after a tough uh, debut in fall ball softball coaching last night. Let me see if I can f- pull up the, tw- the text you sent me. It was, uh, it was a rough go. It's, it's one of those situations in life where I- I'm even sending a text to the parents saying, look, we are the youngest team in the league. This is going to be a developmental season. I'm trying to yeah. set expectations going in. Just know that we're going to get better and better as the season goes on, but it may be rough through stretches. <laughs> you can prepare yourself mentally all you want. It still doesn't make it that much easier when you're in the middle of the frustration and I'm out there. And I get mad at myself because as the coach pitch pitcher, I was not that good last night. I was probably at least one pitch to every girl would be bad. Now I'm giving them two or three good ones. But if the third strike is way high or bouncing and they swing and don't take it, I feel miserable because I just struck out this girl and I have to go tell her to go back to the dugout because she struck out. Uh, that is not a good situation to be in. So it's a, it's a learning experience this year. You, you sent me last night, 12-5 loss for the Red Sox developmental season. Well, and I was actually off. It was 13-5. to oh. <laughs> The scoreboard said 12-5, to but they had scored a run with no outs in the bottom of that inning, and the umpire called it because there was no chance we were going to catch up at that point, even if we started another inning. So uh, the game ended 13-5. All credit goes to the Rangers, the team we played last night. They were solid. Their first five or six hitters, and they've got some older girls, I'm sure, on their team that are a little bit more experienced, but they were hitting seeds. I mean, I'm talking line drives to shortstop that was getting out to the, the outfield. So I, I was impressed uh, with their team. My hope, Hutton, is that we faced in the first game the best team in the league, <laughs> and that's what it's going to look like against the best team. So the rest of the team is going to be a lot more competitive, and we're going to be even with them. Um, I had a scrimmage on Saturday that was much more competitive than this first game. 
So my hope is that everyone isn't as good as this team we played last I night. Am, they were great. I'm predicting we're going to have a rematch for the championship. Red Sox Rangers. Well, uh, I I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> I'll also say this: the the head coach. I've got a lot of help. I need to organize that help. We don't really have a dugout mom, and we had a mom who was very nice to a volunteer last night to help out. The mom who d- who helped us out for the scrimmage was not there, so she she filled it. I felt like organizationally, as the head coach, we were deficient compared to the other compared, team. Yeah. They were out there and ready to go. They had their girl and the catcher's equipment, head to toe. We were always like trying to rush to get the catcher's equipment on. Uh, my daughter, at one point, loses her bat. I have to go into the dugout while pitching, <laughs> find her bat, hand it to her, run out there. I just felt like, from an organization standpoint, you know, Josh Heupel at Tennessee talks about, uh, what is it, organizationally? The quarterbacks got it down. They're administering the offense the right way and getting it snapped in, in the proper time and all that. I felt like from a head coaching perspective, I'm looking in the mirror now, I've got a lot of organizational work to do to help out the team, make sure we're more efficient with how we operate the team during the game. So that's on me. When is your, ne- your next practice? Uh, we're, I'm trying to schedule a practice for Thursday night. Yeah, we that's... don't have any practices scheduled, so now it's just on us if we can find a field. And I've got a couple of ends to it, some diamonds that we can find. So maybe Thursday night. We play again Saturday. Don't know if that's going to be a fun practice for these young ladies. Well, we got to find a first baseman. (laughs) I I don't want to get too in the weeds here, but uh, we played girls at different positions Uh, last night. The team we played really set them out there and kept the girls in the same position, which is how they're going to learn the best. So we're going to start doing more of that. we gotta, we got to have an open tryout for first base, I think, on our team, more than anything else. Hit us up on Twitter at OutKick360. I, I have praised Chad in the past for his patience. There is no way, no way I could coach a team, at any uh, boys or girls. At a, like, I'm trying to figure out what age. I've been asked, like, what age is my cutoff? But, like, Little League, it is just – I can't sit there and watch that pace of play and the uh, – the mistakes being made when you're just trying to teach the rules of the game. I don't have the patience to <laughs> sit there and watch it. And, uh, and that, I'm not saying that makes me cool. It's probably the opposite. But for the coaches, the Little League coaches out there that are willing to, that are very competitive, Chad is, is the, among the most competitive people I know with anything. And for him to sit there and take a 12-5 and then admit it's actually 13-5 to loss... <laughs> And uh, still feel okay about the direction that they're headed. That speaks volumes to your patience and uh, your commitment to this team as the coach. I mean, it could have been worse. Like, final score-wise, this team was very good that we played. And I I don't think they're all going to look like that as we get going. Um, Thank you, Hutton. I appreciate you acknowledging my patience because there's a lot of it that it takes to get through these games. Let me add in. The patience also comes with dealing with parents. Yeah. The parents at that level expect more and are coaching their kids to do things that the coach doesn't necessarily need going on at the time. And it, it, everyone's talking, and it's, it's hard to keep well, kids' attention. They're playing. They're turned around playing in the grass. Knock on wood. Um, I've not had a bad parent issue yet yeah. on any team that, that I've, that's I've been happen. around. That's going to happen this It's season. definitely going to happen. But also, I think I'm quick to acknowledge, and I'll tell the girls, like, that's a bad pitch. If I pitch to them, I said, take that. The big thing we're getting into now, they don't understand you can take pitches, right? They've, they've played T-ball. They've played at a level where you just swing at everything because there's not much of a risk of striking out. Well, now, if the coach, this is how you, we play Little League Baseball. Yep. Eventually, you learn if it's a bad pitch, you take a ball, right? So I'm telling them, if you're stepping and it looks like it's going to hit the plate or, or go low or high, just if you're not comfortable 
in your approach, even if it's a strike. They're not going to call a strike on you in this league. So just don't swing can you walk? unless you're sure it's your pitch. Can you walk and coach pitch? No. Yeah, because then, then the coach can just walk yeah, your player you on just, purpose. You could just right? walk. You could walk anyone you want. I, I beamed a girl in the uh, in the. <laughs> I could be taken out of context. I, I, I did it in the uh, the the scrimmage, and uh, I joked. I said, "All right, take your base," and she started to take her base. And the other coach who knows me says, "Chad, that's not how it works at this level. You can't just start hitting your girls to get them on base." <laughs> and I knew right when I I also got a warning last night because, and I knew I was going to do this. Just my natural instinct. I tried to tell a girl not to swing on one. I threw one. I, right when I released, I knew it was way high. I said, no, 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 no. And he said, can't do that. You can't coach them to swing or not from the pitcher's mound as you pitch it. And I said, I know. That was just instinct kicking in. Um, here's the most frustrating part. We'll, we'll wrap up our, okay. our youth sports segment with this. The most frustrating part of coaching, I think, is when you're coaching kids who have some ability – and are starting to learn certain things, but they don't know a lot, and they do something really dumb, and then they don't even care that like three runs just scored because they did something dumb. That's what I can't connect with as someone who's so competitive, is I want to see a little disappointment in like why would you throw the ball to second when the girl's on third and you throw it into left field <laughs> and then they just keep in this league they just keep running. Right until you stop the lead runner, they can keep going all the way oh. around. And then I'm just thinking, and I, I look at them, and I have to realize, like, they don't even know what they just did. Like, they're starting to understand. At times, we have girls now that will like cry if they strike out because they're good, and they they know, and that's good. They know consequences, they know the repercussions. But it's the times where I just look up and I see someone doing something. I'm thinking, I'm mad. They don't even care because they don't even know. They're just out there throwing the ball around, trying to throw yeah, it to the next to person. This to matter to you. It's hot potato, right? You got the ball in your hand. Let's throw the softball to someone else and see what happens. Anyway, we'll we'll get better as we go. Give us your thoughts on social media at Outkick360. Uh, that's where Brady was yesterday uh, after practice, tweeting out that he was not on the mass Singer, but he was wearing a mask, and he tweeted out a photo <laughs> of uh, a guy on a motorcycle with a helmet on doing tricks while wearing the Tom Brady underwear. Uh, for the Brady brand. Uh, this is in line with the the comedy that I would expect from Brady, right? Like, I find him extremely uh, funny with the kind of the deadpan stuff as he plays into rumors. He did he did acknowledge that the, the Masked Singer was a thing. He saw it. He heard about it. He said, uh, I, wasn't, I wasn't filming the Masked Singer. But he's back after 11 days. So was he just out uh, perfecting his underwear brand? Is that no, what we think? I think he just he found a video of them. They, they, they've launched. This. Yeah, but they launched yesterday. Like all yeah, these that, tw- tweets I, were at one time. I, I think that that's all planned based on the the launch, right? I don't think he's. I don't think he was vacationing, uh, taking vacation from the Bucks to go launch a underwear brand for his already clothing brand. I think that was just sent to him, and he retweeted the the video. I I, I still think the the story that that we saw. Um, from Aaron Wilson at Pro Football Network is where he was. Um, on Sunday, Aaron Wilson wrote in a story that league sources had Brady in the Bahamas at a resort with his family um, and spending time with his wife, Giselle. You know, he also tweeted out his, his son, Jack, had a birthday late last week or over the weekend, so he tweeted that out too. Um, but 
the, the quote was, his commitment to family and having a personal life was at the heart of his hiatus from football. There was no medical emergency as speculated or other reasons. And that's where he could have put in Mass Singer, but didn't. Um, but Chad, we, we discussed this only yesterday. The whole thing is weird because if you're the Bucks, you I think Brady coming back out of retirement after 40 days, he could easily say, I'm back. I did say I wanted to spend time with family. We have something planned this summer right before the season where I'm going to, you know, I'm going to be away for a week and then that's it. There's really no other storyline there. And with this, if he shows up and, and plays well, there's no harm, no foul. And really, if he plays uh, bad out of the gate, no harm, no foul. Because <laughs> at 45 years old, that's going to be the storyline more than it is whether or not he went to the Bahamas or any resort on the globe for 11 days. Yeah, I just recorded a Fox News radio hit about this for tomorrow. It's just so unnecessary because there's no real risk of Tom Brady just coming out and being honest and saying exactly what you just said. If the Aaron Wilson report is true, then just come right out and say, this was pre-planned. I I planned on this when I retired. I was going to spend more time with family. I talked about it with the coaches, organization, the players, whoever. Say exactly what's going on. Instead, we've got Logan Ryan on our show on Friday. He has no clue. What's going on? I don't on? think the players he really knew says, where he was. I, he said, I'm not saying he's even co- for sure coming back. We don't know. It's just very, for a guy, and I just got done watching the Derek Jeter documentary. Derek Jeter was all about, let's not create distractions. Let's keep it completely out of this clubhouse. We are trying to avoid distraction at all costs. Brady's very similar with that. I just don't understand why you wouldn't just say that, and it's a complete non-story. Well, I don't think it's a story I at all. I don't think Brady, it, uh, this may sound crazy, I don't think Brady caused a distraction. I think Todd Bowles did whenever he said he wasn't sure when his quarterback was going to return. I was out there watching the joint practice work between the Bucks and the Titans. It was not a distracted Buccaneers football team. It was not a team that was looking around angry at the fact that Brady wasn't there. It was business as usual. And then the post-practice on Wednesday is when Todd Bowles said he wasn't sure on when Brady was returning. And then uh, shortly thereafter, Arians is on the broadcast saying, yeah, everyone everyone knows about this. Everyone that needs to know knows about this, I should say. And and said he's, he's not retiring. He's going to be playing week one. And then it was sh- shortly after that when Schefter tweeted out that he was expected back on Monday. That, that, to me, was the weird part. That got the chatter going again about the possible retirement. Like, he's, he's back in, and uh, he really doesn't love the game. I don't think it's anything like that. I think he promised Giselle and his family he was going to do this and did it, followed through on it. And I, I do think now, looking back on it, the Bucks knew. I just think they mishandled the whole information part of this. Well, again, if Todd Bowles take out the second weird statement where he said he doesn't know when he's coming back. If that first statement where he says, we knew about this in advance, he's going to come back the week, this, the week of this, I think was kind of what he said. He's going to miss this next game Yeah, he'd say he, and he, then be back for the following. No, he never gave a timetable. He said he would return after the Tennessee game. Yeah. So that could be going into September. It didn't necessarily have to be yesterday. Based on that statement. Yeah, I think the way he said it, though, is pretty clear. He was saying yeah, and shortly it, after the game was over. Everyone expected him back. back on Monday. He yeah. was back on Monday. But then he he backtracked. Not I don't even know if it was intentional. By, by admitting you didn't know the, the specifics on it, even though you did, again, that that's where questions 
started to to pop up. I just there's nothing that's going to convince me any of this makes sense other than him just saying that because I have no issue with that. Who's going to have an issue with a guy who retired to spend more time with family that's 45 years old with Tom Brady's resume that then comes out and says, hey guys, remember what I said about retiring family? Well, we had a a trip planned and we're going to spend some time together in this part of training camp that I strategically took off because I know I'm going to gear back up and be fine for the season. So here's what we're going to do. It's a one-paragraph press release, and Todd Bowles says it, and we're not going to take any more questions on it. Tom will be back to take questions when he's back. Boom. Done. No speculation. No mass singer talk. None of it. We just move on. I don't think anyone's questioning Brady's commitment. No. And and that that's what's weird about the whole thing is just be forthright with the information, and that's it. I mean, it, it's, it's just... It's look, not like it's... It, um, it, it's not... Baker Mayfield taking a week off. Well, and people are right? going to come back and say, well, it's not really a distraction. It's not really going to bother. And it may not. N- none of this may matter. My only point is, why even present the possibility of it mattering? Well, his here's what's going to matter. His offensive line issues in front of him. That's going to affect the team more than Brady missing 11 days while Blaine Gabbert took first-team reps against the Titans in practice for two days and then played a, a, a small portion of of the preseason game. Coming up, 10-year NFL vet Jason Campbell, of course, Auburn Tiger. He's with the Auburn Radio Network. We'll uh, get his take on the quarterback battle on the Plains. We'll discuss Brian Harson going into this season after the inquiry back in February. And the start for the Tigers, where they play five straight at home with an opportunity to set a standard for where they could be in the SEC West. Former Auburn Tiger, host of Believes Everything Auburn, Jason Campbell is next on Outkick 360. First, though, Aurora Nutriscience and VitaLifeScience.com. V-I-D-A LifeScience.com is the website for the great supplements from Aurora. Outkick 360 season ticket holders receive a 15% discount with the code OUTKICK360. Typical pills and capsules are not well absorbed. These over-the-counter things you would pick up at the supermarket – they're only absorbed in your body in small, very small amounts. Your digestive system breaks these pills down until there's little left for you to benefit from because you, you waste it. But here's Aurora, unique, cutting-edge, nutritional, and absorbable supplements encapsulated in liposomes. And that means it ensures greater absorption in the body's bloodstream. I use the vitamin C, the vitamin D3, glutathione, and more. You can see everything they have to offer at vitalifescience.com, V-I-D-A, lifescience.com for more info. 15% off with the code OUTKICK360 at VitaLifeScience.com. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Outkick 360 rolls on. Chad, it is always great whenever we have a, a former player on who hosts a podcast. Yeah. Because you know the setup is going to be legit, right? That's it's right. going to sound great, look yes. great. Jason Campbell joins us. A host true professional. Of Believes 
uh, everything Auburn podcast and everything about Jason throughout his career was professional, but certainly the podcast setup as well uh, from our Auburn quarterback, Jason Campbell with us. Jason, great to have you on, man. Yeah, thanks guys for having me on. Uh, you know, I try to I try to have a good little setup. You know, I, I want to make sure people can hear me clearly. And that's one thing about our podcast I do with Taylor Beth Davis on uh, Believe in Everything Auburn. So no, I appreciate the opportunity and uh, ready to talk. Do you think you've spent more time discussing Brian Harson or the quarterback battle from March to now? That's a, that's a great question. That's the actual first question for me. Um, I would say probably equally. Um, it all depends on who I'm talking to. If I'm talking to a bunch of boosters, yeah, you know, they usually want to know about you know what happened back in January and February, and you know, if I'm talking to you know a bunch of former players or just a, a regular fan base, they want to know who's going to be the starting quarterback, who's pulling the trigger come September the third. So, you know, it, it's been a, it's been a, a quite a, a unique year. So I would say this: with so much unknown about the Auburn football team. It's going to make it an intriguing season for everyone to, to follow this team and see what happens. Jason Campbell, our guest. I want a, a, Another uh, way to get at this, I'm, I'm curious because I think it sets the tone for someone that knows the program very well versus two guys who are trying to figure it out a little bit. Are you, if we had this conversation last year at this time, would you, would you be shocked if I said Harson is the head coach but Bo Nix elected to leave? <laughs> Uh, the bonus thing doesn't, doesn't shock me. Okay. Uh, the only, the only reason why if Gus Malzahn was still the head coach at Auburn and Bo decided to transfer, then I would be shocked. Uh, but anytime you get a new coach and you get two people that's, you know, both of, you know, coach Harson is, he's the head coach and, you know, obviously he wants his players. He wants his type of people. And, you know, he didn't recruit Bo out of high school. So the fact that Bo was there, Bo had to really, you know, open up to understanding that Coach Harson is trying to possess a competition to everybody. He wants everyone to earn their spot. And, you know, sometimes they don't go over well with some players that are, you know, feel like they've already earned their stripes and different things like that. But when you're a new head coach, you're trying to establish, you know, your platform and put your your input on the program. And I just feel like, you know, him and Bo may have not saw eye to eye on certain situations. And and I just think Bo probably felt like it was better for him to to go on to Oregon, which one of the coaches that coached him when Coach Malzahn was there is the offensive coordinator, I believe, at Oregon now. So, Jason, we're going to get back into present-day Auburn and ask you a question about that. But I have to bring this up. You played on an SEC football team that went undefeated and did not play for a national championship. And it was not because you could not play for a national champion. Auburn knows about that as well in, in, <laughs> in, uh, in the late 90s. But the fact that this happened in 2004 and not the 1950s, I think would shock most people when you look at the success of the SEC right now and their run of national championships. How crazy is that to think back on that 2004 season for you and think that we were an SEC team that went undefeated and we were frozen out of a national championship game. That is wild to think about in 2022. Oh, incredibly wild. I, I say this. I ran to one of my coaches last night. I was actually in Auburn last night, and I ran to one of our defensive coaches, and we actually talked about the 04 team and how together, how close we were, and we felt like no one could beat us. And we really did want to play USC because the year before, it didn't go our way. Uh, we had we tried to do an offensive coordinator by staff because Bobby Petrino had left and went to Louisville and that just didn't work. But this year, that year, we felt like we had every piece in place. 
We had an offensive coordinator, one voice, one sound. And we felt like, you know, we had leadership and we knew what we wanted to do. And and to be an SEC team and to play the toughest schedule out of the three teams that was finished undefeated between us, USC and Oklahoma, and not to play for the national championship, it was a little bit of a slap in the face. It was tough. And the next seven years after us, I believe the SEC won the national championships. And I believe the 2004 season is the reason that the playoff system began to become a conversation because people were saying, how can you leave out an SEC undefeated team and not be in the BCS championship is unheard of. And the fact that that happened, you know, I think that's the reason that 2011, 2012 and beyond that the seasons began to start, that the uh, playoff system began to get talked about and came about. I know we're still a little over a week away from from games starting uh, across the SEC, although I guess Vanderbilt does play this Saturday. So we're going to know a lot more about Brian Harson and Auburn, obviously, when we see them on the field. But since all the wackiness occurred this past winter, Jason, how do you think Coach Harson has handled things around the program from that moment leading up to the start of the season? That's a great question. Uh, we talked about this on the podcast earlier today. I believe that going through what he went through not only has helped him, I believe it's helped this football team because – you know, when you come from Boise State and you come into the SEC and and I think a lot of it is experience. Like you're not used to this type of, you know, competition week in and week out. When you're at Boise, you pretty much can look at your schedule and say, okay, we can pinpoint the two games that probably be our most difficult games. But when you look at the SEC schedule, you just don't know. And I think uh, Coach Harson's first year was a whole learning curve. And, and listening to him and talking with him over this time uh, leading up to the season, I can tell that's a different mindset that he's coming with this year uh, with this football team. And it kind of opened up the doors for players and coaches to understand each other. When you look at these guys in the SEC and and everything, and I think Coach Harson coming in with, with his mindset that he had for how he did things at Boise, I think it really made these made the guys and, and the coaches sit in the room together and say, hey, let's have an open conversation about – what it is that you expect from us and what we expect from you. And let's learn how to communicate with one another. And I think that's something they've learned how to transpire through this all season, which was a difficult one back in January, February, and March. I think now that they've, they've earned the stripes to, to be able to have open communication. They know more about each other. Now there's no secrets. There's nothing unturned. So they've had now to hash out everything and for everyone to get on the same page. And unfortunately, it had to happen the way it did. And, you know, you don't want it to go that way. But once it was all out there, you have to talk about these subjects. So you couldn't just walk around and run from the run from the questions and players couldn't walk around and just try to dodge it. You have to sit down in a room and look at each other man to man and speak out and say what bothers you and to try to get on the same page. And I think that's what has happened to this football team over this summer. When I talk to the players, when I talk to the coaches, they all sound like they have found some type of cohesiveness and togetherness through this whole process that was out there lingering back in the spring. Former Auburn quarterback Jason Campbell, our guest, he's the host of Everything Auburn and the, the Believe Podcast Network, uh, also a part of the Auburn Sports Radio Network. Uh, reading through the coverage of the team right now, it sounds as though T.J. Finley ha has, has separated himself from the quarterback battle. If that is the case and Finley's the guy, do you view that as a great sign that he separated himself? Or do you look at it like, man, Robbie Ashford had a great opportunity to show out and didn't, if we already know kind of who's the quarterback of this team? 
Well, I, I just think for this standpoint, TJ's the reason TJ's name is out there as far as being the, the starter is because he has the most experience under Coach Harson than any other player, um, any other quarterback on the roster. And when you think about TJ, you know, he's a big guy, he's six seven. You know, he he's, he can throw the football, he's accurate, he can throw down the field. But the one thing that hurts him in a lot of ways is his elusiveness to try to get away from the pass rush. And when you think about a Robbie Ashford kid, you know, he's a guy that's very athletic, uh, hasn't had a lot of experience. You know, he came from Hoover High School, went out to Oregon for two years, and now he's here at Auburn. So I think the thing that that's against him right now is just building and earning and earning that respect of everyone else is by getting playing time. And I just think the fan base has to be patient this season and understand that they're trying to find their guy. Because, yes, TJ may be the guy now based off experience, but I don't think this is a, a, a quarterback battle that's finished and, and, and everything until we get to the middle of the season. Because you can't look at the Mercer game and say, oh, we found that guy. You can't look at that San Jose game, which I think will be a little bit of a challenge because they was in the same division as Boise State with Coach Harson, so they have some familiarity. But I don't think you look at that game and say, oh, we found our guy. I think you circle the Penn State game, and I think you circle the Missouri game, and I think those two games tell you who will be our quarterback moving forward for the rest of the season. I think if TJ starts, I don't see no way that you keep Robbie Ashford on the sideline uh, not to come into some of those games and get some experience and, and get 10 to 15 plays so that he can get that experience and see what you have in him. Because there's a young guy in, in Gurner that's real talented coming out of high school, and he just haven't had experience at this level either. So I just think it's going to go by – it's going to go as the season continues to progress. I wouldn't be shocked to see him still trying to figure it out in the season because experience is something you can't teach, and you have to see how guys react in 11-on-11 rather than 7-on-7. Jason, what was your initial reaction when Harson was hired? Because when we're looking at it, we're thinking it that's a good, accomplished coach at a good program in Boise State, but it was kind of a head-scratcher from a fit standpoint going from Boise to Auburn. As a famous former Auburn Tigers quarterback, what was your initial reaction? Well, I one, I was a little bit shocked at the time just because, uh, you know, Gus Mazan was fired, you know, during a COVID year. Uh, you know, a COVID year is so hard. You know, you just that's something none of us have ever had to deal with. And you don't know when you get to Saturday if a guy's gonna be playing for you or not. Like you just didn't know. It was constant testing and constant guys in practice, out of practice. So once he got, you know, got fired and everything, and you know, when we went and got Coach Harson from Boise, you know, it was a little bit of a head scratcher at the time, only because he wasn't a southeastern guy. And, you know, most of the times when you see guys hire within within the Southeastern Conference, it's someone that has some type of ties to the Southeastern Conference. It's someone that kind of understands Coach Saban, understands Kirby Smart, understands, you know, what LSU and, and people like to do so you can have a competitive edge. And so, you know, you knew that Boise is a very respectable program and, and everything. So you knew that once they went and got Harson and everything, so you gave it the benefit of the doubt because, you know, he came from a winning program and, you know, he understands winning. But now it's just at a different level when you come to the SEC. It's about it's more than just what can you do from a winning standpoint on the field It's can you win in recruiting. Recruiting is so huge when it comes to this part of the game field in the Southeastern Conference. And you have to have an edge in that area. And that's the thing I think he's probably had to try to learn the most is how competitive recruiting is 
in the deep South when it comes to football. So I just think, uh, you know, last year was a huge learning curve. He almost got the Alabama game. They had some games. They was very competitive in every game, had a chance to win a lot of those games towards the end of the season, but they lost them in the fourth quarter. So I think is the talent there. Yes. I think the talent is there. I think, you know, have the guys bought in? I think the guys are buying into everything he's trying to teach them this offseason to get ready for the season. I just think the most important thing is learning how to win in the fourth quarter, but also for him is how can we win in a recruiting battle against some of these other dominant forces? Jason, when you were playing for Tommy Tuberville, did you imagine one day that you'd be saying Senator Tommy Tuberville? <laughs> I tell you what, it – it doesn't really shock me the fact that he is a politician. Uh, I remember when I was playing at Auburn, uh, he would always be standing on the sideline. It would be like 40, 50 guys standing on the sideline with him, like watching us practice. And all the other coaches would kind of be out on the coaching field and, and doing different things. And he would kind of be over there, you know, I guess, you know, selling the program to the boosters, you know, to, to help build facilities and different things. But so he knew so many people. So it didn't shock me the fact that he got into, you know, want to be a politician, but it did somewhat, you know, kind of like, ah, uh, it's just hard when you think of your football coach as a politician. You know, I like to think of Coach Tuberville as our football coach, uh, not as the politician, because, you know, politics, man, it's the worst thing sometimes because it feels like it divides people. And, you know, and that's kind of like the hardest thing to, to see him in that in that in that area, because it's just so much you don't know what's true, what's not true. And so much can be said. But politics is just lately it has just been a, a thing that seemed like a division rather than togetherness. We had him on recently and he told us to call him coach. So that was a good, a great sign. And uh, he's also well, he, this was off air. He just yeah, said, as we air. said, you know, senator, he's like, please call me coach. And then we we yeah. uh, we were, we had him on because he is trying to cross the aisle and come up with a plan for NIL for federal legislation. I don't know how you know realistic that can be in this day and age with the cat out of the bag, but he's attempting to to help universities compete on at least some level playing field because right now it's just crazy. Yeah, right now it's the wild wild west. Um, you know, definitely it's harder, I guess, to, it needs some parameters, but at this point, how do you put parameters on it? Because the cat is out the bag, like you said, and then everything that comes to test now, it's going to have to go to Supreme Court because now you can't tell a kid they can't earn so much amounts of money. Like you can't tell if another school can offer them that as an NIL once they're on campus, like you just it's a way of finding a way to now to have to, hey, how can we start to raise money so that we can compete in NIL? Because, like I said, these are things that should have been talked about in conversations that should have been brought up long before they launched this out there. Um, like I said, now you're trying to retract from something that you've already put out there. So, you know, if kids are making different amounts of money at some of these schools, like, you know, example, like Texas and Texas A&M, they're all money pockets. They're deep. And you know that they can they can afford to pay these kids great NIL deals once they're on campus. And then you look at, you know, some of the, these universities and different things that's trying to, you know, be able to have an NIL for their student athletes. And every state is different. So it's not even it's not even fair that because every state is not even by the same rules. So now you look at it from an NIL standpoint, some states can make this rule for their NIL, which another state, you cannot do certain things in NIL. So now you got players and their parents looking at, okay, what's the best situation for us to go to so that we can earn a living while you're playing college football 
and everything, or you're a student athlete at a university, how can we get the advantage? Well, if you are, if you are a recruiter on a coaching staff, and you're trying to recruit a kid to come to your school. And there's certain things that you can't do with your NIL once the kid signs in on campus. But then the other school can say, well, we can do this over here. We can we can give you this and that once you're here on our campus. That's a recruiting advantage. So it's not even a level playing field right now. And I think that's the huge thing. Jason Campbell, our guest, uh, your Tigers open up with five straight at home. You, you, they don't go on the road until Georgia on October the 8th. <laughs> that's crazy. But it, it's also reason to be optimistic uh, playing the games at home, and I'm not even looking at, at Mercer or San Jose State, but hosting Penn State, hosting Missouri, hosting LSU. What's realistic out of the gate for the Auburn Tigers whenever they kick off in a couple of weeks? Yeah, I was saying earlier to someone, I said, how I run it for you to lose your last five games of the season in 2021, and do you open up 2022 with first five games at home? Uh, you know, that just really doesn't happen. Now, the thing is, when you go through an experience like that, okay, you can't wait to get the taste of victory. Like you need to create a winning mindset. Yes, you you was given the opportunity to get that in your first two games. Now, well, if you can find a way to pull off the Penn State game, pull off the Missouri game, and then get LSU and Coach Kelly's first year there, if you can pull that off and you start off five and zero, oh, now you have rewritten the script. Everyone is, has forgotten about January, February, and March. Everyone has, you know, everyone's behind you. The team is bought in. The guys are together. And then you get ready to head into a Georgia stadium, which you know the atmosphere is going to be crazy. But they lost seven defensive starters, so they're replacing guys. So, But you know Kirby's a heck of a recruiter, so he's going to have someone in the wings. But you walk into that stadium fully confident that you can go there and win that ball game now because why? You won some big games. And now you understand that you have the edge and you know what that winning feels like. So that's why I always say when you're dealing with 18 or 22-year-olds, when you start to win, anything is possible. So that's why I say this team is intriguing this year because of those first five games at home. And it just goes to show you don't know what happens because, yes, Georgia and Alabama is on the road. We know that's a gauntlet. But you also got to go to Ole Miss. Lane Kiffin, that's, that's a place you got to respect. But my in Mississippi State, Mississippi State coming back this year with their quarterback, you know, Mike Leach love to throw the ball all over the field. And, you know, they came back and beat us last year. We was up, I believe, 28 to three or 27 to three, something like that. So, you know, those are some tough atmospheres that this team has got to go on the road to win some games. So my thing is, if you can pull off the games at home and beat a strong Texas A&M team at home as well and beat a strong Arkansas team who I feel like is really, really growing in the SEC. If you can pull off those games and, and protect your home field, and if you can find a way to split one of those last two between a Georgia and a Bama, it gives you an opportunity at the end of the season to, to be where a lot of folks didn't think you would be at uh, come December. If Brian Harson can flip the script and have success this year, do you fear that he bolts for the first opportunity he gets somewhere else that's comparable to Auburn given – everything he faced internally this past offseason? That's that's an honest question uh, because, you know, the thing is people have asked that question. Um, and I think Coach Harson's the only one that can really answer it. But if you feel like you've gone through what you went through this offseason and say they have a 10-win season and some West Coast team comes and try to pull him back out West, like you really can fault him if he decided to say, hey, I want to go back closer to home. Uh, you know, because of everything that he kind of went through. So he can say, I'm leaving the program in a better place than it was last year, you know, at this point in time. But at the same time, 
if he has a losing season, will he still be the head coach at Auburn? If everything went the way it went this year, I think we know the answer to that. So I just feel like uh, if he has a winning season, I, I think he's going to have some opportunities to say, hey, I can stay or I can leave. But other teams going to look at that and say, man, this guy went through all of that. And if he was able to pull it together at Auburn in that big conference and win, I think we want to go try to take a chance at him bringing back the West Coast because he may be open to leaving just because of everything that transpired. So I just think uh, it's just so much, so much to, to be answered. Like I said, if he has a winning season, he may find it that he really likes the SEC. It's the, it is the pinnacle, the pinnacle of college football coaching. You know, I know the Big Ten can say this and the ACC can say that, but when you're in a conference and you got to look at Nick Saban, the reason a lot of people don't, when they look at the Auburn job, they consider it a super hard job is because the guy that's down the street from us, Coach Saban. Coach Saban scares a lot of coaches from wanting to take the Auburn job. And because they know that that game is so huge, you can either become legendary off of it or you can get quickly fired off of it. And I think with Gus, when Gus was there, the one thing that really kept him going, he always found a way to beat Coach Saban. And, and other coaches have not found a way to beat Coach Saban, and it really puts a lot of pressure on the rest of the SEC. It's been a great conversation with Jason Campbell, uh, everything Auburn podcast through the Believe Network, also the Auburn Sports Radio Network. Jason, thank you uh, so much for the, for the time today, the look at the Tigers, and uh, we'll hopefully catch up soon. Yeah, appreciate it, guys. Thank you all for Thanks, having Jason. me. Thanks, uh, Jason. Great season. Yeah, yep. Yeah. Uh, great uh, setup there from uh, Jason Campbell. Um, we told you before on the front end it was going to be great, and it was. Uh, our, our thanks to Jason Campbell. Uh, follow him on social media at jcam underscore 17. Coming up, hot dog, the hot dog straw. It went viral. Chad and I have a different take on the video that has gone viral of a man drinking a beer through a hot dog straw at a Yankees game. That's next on Outkick 360. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. saw this video last night of a man who creates a hole in a hot dog so he can use it as a straw in his beer at a Yankees game. Outkick 360 the rolls Subway on. Subway series, Yankees-Mets game. Um, and I, uh, at first glance, that, man, this is, this is odd. It's weird. It's gross. And then I watched it again on a loop. And, Chad, I thought to myself, this is staged. There's a guy who is, has his body turned not completely towards the camera, but towards the camera where he's two or three rows in front of the man who is recording him and goes through all the steps very slowly of creating the hole with a straw in the hot dog, puts the hot dog in the beer, and then uses the hot dog as a straw. It's disgusting. It looks strange. Um, I was imagining the taste, which is something I don't recommend. Um, but the way they filmed it over the right shoulder of this guy and the way he turned his body wearing like a 
a weird Yankees a cap. Plaid. It, it was a plaid, like no, green granted, and blue plaid. It's the hat, hat of a man who would be doing this if it was legit, too. I like a plaid Yankees hat. That, I, that's the guy who would use a hot dog straw. Yeah, but I I thought it was staged with an opportunity to go viral, and it did. So props to the creator of this. But so this the cre- this morning we were chatting about it. Yeah, and the creator of this is New York Nico Nicholas Heller. He has nine hundred and ninety one thousand followers on Instagram. Going to get to a million uh, now. The bio is the unofficial talent scout of New York City. Now, it didn't take a lot of research. I just went to this guy's page. And on April 22nd, he posted a very similar video mm. of a guy dipping his entire hot dog in bun into a full beer, wearing a Yankees hat and a Yankees jacket at Yankee Stadium. Now, what, strikes me, what strikes me about this video is that it's taken from the exact same angle mm. as this other video. He is over the right shoulder, two rows back, on an aisle, going over the seats, looking at this guy and zooming in and zooming out. It's almost identical. This is staged. I am with you, Hutton. I didn't give it a lot of thought when I first saw it. And then you said that before, and I said, let's see who found this. I want to see if it's just some common person. that filled. And then I see it's a guy who's an Instagram influencer in New York City. It's staged. I'm with you. It's staged. It's but fake. It- it brought out fake. all of the, you know, all all of the different. Uh, let's see. At first, it was disgusting, and then it was oh, they're very smart because people are going to pick up on this. And then it was, imagine how that tastes. To this is very odd. This is something that, you know, maybe Jacob Swanson would do. Um, and then I said, you know what? This is fake, 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 fake. I'll just end it with this. It's more of a texture thing than a taste <laughs> thing for me. When it comes to using a hot dog as a straw. And who uses a hot dog as a straw or a straw in general in beer anyway? Don't know. Not good. John McClain doesn't. He joins us next to talk NFL headlines.